dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series dun, dun, dun. and the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. I'm intrigued. <laughs> You're listening to Before the Dragon. Dun, dun, dun. The characters are, quote, uniformly dull, preventing House of the Dragon from justifying its existence as anything other than a calculated piece of brand extension for the newly merged Warner Brothers Discovery. End quote. That's what Alan Sepinwall wrote in his August 19th Rolling Stone article reviewing, I'm not sure how many episodes of House of the Dragon that his privilege has granted him to see ahead of the rest of us. And I'll tell you, I've never really cared much for Sepinwall nor his reviews. And I basically have watched his takes age into a state of uselessness for the last two years. But on top of that, as far as I'm concerned, regarding at least his pilot episode of House of the Dragon, he couldn't be any more wrong. And I say this to you, you listeners who have found us, and I thank you for that. I say this to you, that no matter how you feel about this show, we definitely want to hear from you. Maybe you agree with Seppenwall. Maybe you don't. All I can say is that, as Seppenwall mentioned that specific Warner Brothers Discovery merger, the future of shows like this on a merged streaming service will be in danger. Let's face it. It costs a hell of a lot less to make 19 Naked and Afraid spinoffs than it does to make seven Game of Thrones franchises. And that merger doesn't just merge the power. It also merges the debt. So I say enjoy this show. Granted that it will be on TV and that the things that on TV seem to be more protected than those things that are coming up for a merged streamer. Just enjoy this show. This spectacle of dragons and drama. This tale of betrayal and bereavement. This tale of tragedy and trauma. Because it may not be as easy to make the next one as you might think. Dun, dun, dun. Like I said, I want to hear your thoughts about this episode and this show throughout the entire season. So please tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod, send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. Leave comments either on our website, Matt's or on the YouTube presentations, search for the word before the dragon podcast on YouTube. And Let's get to talking about this first episode of House of the Dragon. Okay, first things first, I'm going to give this episode a rating of 9 out of 10. Not perfect. I feel having a knowledge of the source material made this episode a heck of a lot easier to digest all of the names and the histories than it would have been for a non-book reader. And that always must be the responsibility of a television show to make sure that everyone knows the groundwork for the series right off the bat without any prior knowledge. The Game of Thrones pilot, I think, had similar issues. So I'm not marking this episode down too much for that. Just noting that when I first saw Game of Thrones, I hadn't read a single word of George's stories, and I still feel like I probably understood it better 
than I would have this pilot episode if I hadn't read any of George's stuff. So that's one minor deduction. And I'm certainly not screaming about it in articles or on Twitter the way Seppenwall has been doing. I mean, he is just flat wrong in what he is saying. The other deduction that I'm going to make for this episode, and oh boy, am I really going to sound like a nitpicky bleephole for this. And maybe it's just because I'm not privileged enough to watch these episodes in a 4K format, or also possibly because I'm quite privileged enough to not have to rely on an outdated TV screen resolution. But those dragons, and I'm specifically talking about the shots where they're moving away from the camera or out of the camera, even through the camera, uh, they just looked a little wonky to me. They didn't look like they were completely part of that. There was a couple of places where I thought I saw outlines. And I'm sorry, like I said, I know that makes me sound like a really nitpicky bleephole, uh, but that's how I feel. And there, I said it. But it's still a solid 9 out of 10 for me. So I got two major headlines out of this particular episode and the first one may not be what you think it's going to be the second one probably will be what you think it's going to be but the first one for me was that just absolutely was an amazingly horrific cut uh, between the Emma birth and the Damon and Kristen stuff in the lists I really found some sympathy for Emma in uh, who's Rhaenyra's mother I can't even imagine what it's like to lose a child, let alone that many children. And yet she has this full acknowledgement of the patriarchal ways that their society is based in and even endorses it. So I was absolutely horrified to see her realize that her devotion to that patriarchal way would basically end her. I, I that just, moved me. It, it, it triggered me. I'm at an age now where I'm starting to lose people in my life, but not only that with my profession, I see that fear come over people all of the time. And it's, it's a really horrible feeling. And so I actually had to stop the episode for just a couple of minutes after that was happening and, and just calm myself down a little bit. Not that I was getting triggered to the point of any kind of, you know, breakdown or anything like that. It's just, it's, it's way too close to home for me, uh, to see, to see that fear. So, uh, what is this actress's name? Uh, Sean Brooke. She just did a fantastic job in that scene. Um, and just, the weight of that decision for Viserys. I, I mean, he was forced into an impossible choice, of course. And the way Melos made it sound like he wasn't going to be able to save Emma anyway. So it's not like Viserys really had a choice, but it was just a horrible and, and horrifying death. And I thought that the way that uh, Sean Brooke portrayed that was just absolutely amazing um really made me feel it uh, i don't know if she's experienced something like that in her own life or whatever but i've seen that look on people's faces and it's not it's not a fun look to see um the funeral pyre scene 
was also very emotional. Uh, so that was some great acting by Millie Alcock there, in my opinion. I'll get more on her in a second and on Rhaenyra in a second. But my second big headline is the one that you who love the North and, and have missed it and whatever. Uh, maybe you loved this reveal or maybe you hated it. Um, especially it might've been a surprise even to some book readers that this came in or not. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know, but the whole revelation of Viserys to Rhaenyra about, you know, Aegon's dream, uh, the original Aegon, the conqueror and why he came to Westeros in the first place. It's a little bit different than what the stories have told us, told us from what I can remember. Um, but it, can't be disqualified by anything in the stories. And I think that, you know, some A Song of Ice and Fire fans have definitely theorized that that might be one reason why Aegon finally flew away to Dragonstone. I always just thought that he flew off of Dragonstone and looked and said, oh, look at that Westeros place. Oh, that's pretty. I want to live there. But I probably can't live there with a dragon unless I'm the ruler. And that's why I figured that he came. But I like this explanation. I can accept it. Um, like I said, I think some fans have been theorizing about this for quite some time. So I'm happy for you that you got your theory. And if you're upset about it, if you feel like that this changes the canon in any way, I don't know. I think maybe George might have fed Condole some of this stuff uh, in order to help him write this series uh, right off the bat. Maybe Condole, who is a big fan of George's, maybe he had questions that George was willing to answer um, at this point in time. Maybe not. Maybe he just came up with it on his own. Um, George has acknowledged and is not a blog that, you know, there are some things that he feels has made better. I don't know if he feels like this is one of those things that have been made better, or if it's something that he's known about the story all along that we just haven't learned yet. Either way, I'm perfectly cool with it, but you may not be. So be sure to tweet at me at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, or send emails to Matt's audioblog at gmail.com. Or you can uh, leave comments on the website, Matt's audioblog.com or on the YouTube channel, search for before the dragon podcast on YouTube. Um, lots of Easter eggs, maybe too many Easter eggs in this first episode. Uh, I feel like that some of them were intentional. I don't know if some of them were intentional or if they were just meant to be promoting other things. Um, but one of the things that I noticed was when Rhaenyra's lands with Cyrex at the pit, um, the two dragon handlers start speaking to the dragon in Valyrian. Obviously, the dragons know Valyrian for whatever reason. And uh, they use the phrase, one of them uses the phrase, uh, Doharis. Doharis. Uh, it's not quite the same as Valar Doharis, as we heard in Game of Thrones, but it's very similar. And that, of course, Valar Morgulis means all men must die. Valar Doharis means all men must serve. Um, so I'm wondering if this is basically a dragon handler's way of telling a dragon to, you know, kind of heal like a dog, you know, serve. Um, and it's also used with the phrase, what is this called? Uh, I've got it written down here. Nyot, I believe was how it was said. And that word seemed to indicate 
the dragon should go inside. So um, it's almost feels like the Dolharis is kind of a command for the dragon to serve and to go inside. I could be completely wrong about that. Like I said, I'm no expert in a song of ice and fire for certain. And I'm certainly no expert in Valyrian, which is constantly being uh, added to uh, by the, the people who do that on the show. Another little Easter egg, uh, the whole Nymeria story that uh, Rhaenyra and Alicent talk about, um, it just felt like they had dropped in a plug uh, for the 10,000 Ships show that they hope to be coming up soon. Uh, that may have just been a coincidence. It may not have been, uh, but it felt like uh, it felt like it was an Easter egg specifically for that show that uh, it is another one that is under development with HBO. Um, this one's kind of a reckless speculation, so I'm going to play the disclaimer right now. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. But that shot of the small council when Viserys is telling that joke, I wonder if that's the punchline to Tyrion's joke. We never heard Tyrion's joke all the way through. And so who knows where else that joke leads, but maybe we've gotten the beginning of that joke and the end of the joke, uh, which means that Tyrion's been telling a joke that is over 200 years old. Is that possible? <laughs> it's Tyrion. He may have read it in an old book somewhere uh, because he liked to get into old books. So yeah, it's possible. Uh, it may not be even remotely connected, uh, but I just love to kind of put it in my own little head cannon that uh, we got the punchline to Tyrion's joke 200 years before Tyrion ever told the joke. Uh, to me, that would be uh, kind of funny. The other note that I have here real quickly in regards to an Easter egg is Rhaenyra's kind of Arya-like attitude, especially at the beginning. She doesn't seem to really conform to a patriarchal point of view um, when she's having that conversation with her mother or even any conversations that she has with Allison. And so it feels, uh, it feels a lot like Ari-ish in a different way, but it, it still felt like kind of this nod. And I like the way that that develops Rhaenyra's character. And that's what I'm going to lead off here as I talk about these characters. As I stated, I thought Millie Alcock just did a fantastic job this episode. I was really invested in Rhaenyra from the very beginning. Um, that last sequence with Rhaenyra and Viserys regarding the secret that's been passed down from king to heir that I already talked about, you could really physically see the weight of that reveal bearing down on the character as that whole sequence went through to the point where she's turning to the audience in front of the throne at the end. Um, I think that that was just an absolutely fantastic job by Millie Alcock. I am very intrigued by the establishment of her interest in this Kristen Cole knight, the one that unseated Damon Targaryen in the lists. And I can't wait to see how any of that plays out. If, when, how, uh, that should be interesting, but there's definitely a spark there, at least on Rhaenyra's side. As for her friend, Alicent, the other character uh, of that is of interest and of age to Rhaenyra. 
Uh, Allison, so far, really all we've seen is her being very supportive of everyone around her, or at least that's all that I saw. I mean, she's even being supportive of her father who's pushing her towards a king. Um, that was, I'll get more on Otto in a second, but the thing that one of the moments that really endeared me to Alicent was her statement to Viserys about when her mother died that, you know, all she wanted was for somebody to offer her some actual condolences that she never got. And she in turn takes that time to really offer a condolence to him. Uh, I feel like that that was a, a really beautiful moment for that particular character. It felt genuine to me. Did it feel genuine to any of you? I would like to know. Please uh, send your feedback to me. Let me know what you thought of that moment between Allison and Viserys. And will Otto get what he wants? Will Otto, I mean, he's obviously pushing her in front of him uh, because he doesn't feel like he has any other chance to basically move up in the world. And I don't even know that he can move up in that respect other than the fact that, you know, then part of his family is now part of the throne. If she were to marry Viserys, which I think is what his actual intention is, wear your mother's dress. Oh boy. I've got a bunch on him in a minute, but I want to say first that the other really endearing moment of Allison to me, this particular episode was when her and Rhaenyra, very near the beginning of the episode, after the court uh, cor courtyard scene, uh, where they're under the godswood, or I guess, yeah, un under the 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 great tree, uh, and in the uh, in the gardens or whatever they call them, as they are skipping, practically skipping, not really skipping, but it almost feels like they're skipping through the entirety of the Red Keep, locked arm in arm. I just thought that that was a really endearing moment actually for both characters. I really love the way that they have taken these two characters and made them a very similar age seemingly, which I think is a little different than it is from the books. Don't care. Uh, because one of the things that it does is it really sets up this wonderful, beautiful friendship throughout the entirety of this episode. I really felt their friendship and, and the genuineness of that. And, if you have seen any of the trailers, then you might understand how dramatic uh, events that you might have seen in the trailers will be after seeing this. Now, if you haven't seen the trailers, I don't want to say anything else. So I'll just leave it at that. But I'll just say that it feels like a really good setup to a beautiful friendship. I'll just leave it at that. Damon Targaryen. Wow. I really like the introduction of Damon. This, again, maybe just a little bit of an Easter egg. Uh, think of Jamie, uh, that who was sitting on the Iron Throne in Game of Thrones after he had killed the the Mad King, or that's the way the story goes. That that's the way Ned found him. I really love the way they established Rhaenyra and Damon's relationship with this kind of joking animosity, uh, turning really into a display of, of caring and and a shared sense of responsibility, and that felt great to me um i know that some people might think that be a little creepy uh but remember these are targaryens and i didn't see it as anything other than just a family gesture as for damon's actions with the gold cloaks well uh it almost feels like defund the gold cloaks which was 
uh, a little joke that I was making in a, in a trailer review or something earlier this year. Uh, it seems to be pretty much the motto of the council as far as uh, his actions on that night. Um, I don't really think that it was meant as any kind of allegory to modern times at all. Personally, if you're going that route and you want to politicize it in that way, well, everybody's got to politicize everything. I think it was just somebody uh, demonstrating that Damon doesn't always use the best judgment or sometimes he does things for good reasons, but he does them in really horrible ways. And that's one of the things that I kind of got out of Damon as well. Uh, I'm sure that Damon did think that he was doing the right thing and making the place safer for all of the Lords coming uh, into town. I mean, that's one of the ways that he ha it helps him stab back at Otto because Otto's always looking for that marketing viewpoint, right? But nonetheless, uh, he probably didn't do uh, what he did in the right way. Um, but Damon does like to take his stabs at Otto um, he, you know, choosing his son as the first opponent in the lists, um, then asking for Otto's daughter's favor in, uh, as, as attorney went on. And I don't know, I've heard some complaints of people saying, oh, well, they're, they're involving Damon too much with Allison. I mean, asking for a favor in this case, isn't really any gesture of love, no matter how many other A Song of Ice and Fire stories you may have read or heard or seen where that does seem significant. To me, he's just doing it to, just to kind of poke at Otto some more. Otto Hightower, uh, who deserves to be poked at in, in some of these cases. So if you want to make that argument that it seems like uh, Damon's making too many moves on Allison there, that's fine if you want to. I just totally disagree with you. And Otto, boy, I don't have much of an opinion of him right now. I, not Certainly not a high one. Um, I mean, his queen is barely ash, and he's already pushing his daughter on Viserys, his king. And the telling of Damon's speech about Viserys' son, I mean, Damon shouldn't have done that absolutely shouldn't have done that but it's it's like uh i don't know who the masters of whispers is in this council uh but obviously otto's got him wrapped around his finger because he has three accounts of damon uh saying that the air for a day oh uh that's not good damon I, I, very uh poor taste very uh too soon <laughs> by damon absolutely uh, but it doesn't matter. I, I still I enjoy much more Damon poking fun at Otto than Otto being uptight and, and stiff and really just trying to get Damon out of there, which is what, of course, ends up happening by the end of the episode. So, uh, they, you know, Otto kind of gets his way. I don't think very highly of him. I guess maybe I'm just Dame on as opposed to Dame off, if you know what I mean. So, uh what are you feeling about that? Are you Dame on or Dame off? Uh, let me know on Twitter or via email. Again, the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Let me know. You can also leave comments on the website, mattsaudioblog.com, or on the YouTube pages with word before the Dragon Podcast. Just search for that on YouTube. Another character that we must talk about, Viserys, our king. Um, he's made a, into a very tragic figure 
in in this episode and patty Considine is just knocking this out of the park all of the previous reviews and all of the talking uh, the things that even george r martin had said about this performance uh was absolutely true in in my opinion the acting performances throughout this cast were absolutely fantastic but patty constantine's really stuck out i mean as i already talked about in the scenes with uh emma as the stuff is still going on in the list um the conflict in his face and maybe you know he has to come to this decision that he did uh, i mean i there's no way to justify doing this one way or the other right how do you choose between your wife and your child um except maybe for the reason of the dream that must be passed down why it feel he might have rushed to that decision because this is something that's getting to him but nonetheless Viserys is a person who's kind of caught in the middle of everything. He's caught in the middle of a council that's feuding with his brother. He's caught in the middle of this horrible, horrible decision that he has to make about regarding his wife and his son that ends up, of course, dying also. So, I mean, he was for sure going to lose them both or he was for sure going to lose them both. It's a lose-lose situation for Viserys and that makes you really feel terrible for him. But he is kind of of weak, just as his brother Damon says, I, I uh, the indication, uh, the, there's two instances where you hear of him getting cut on the iron throne. First one, he's being treated for by grand Maester Melos. And then the second one, he kind of cuts his finger on it as Damon's basically telling him off. And, uh, if you're into the, a song of ice and fire lore, or if you've heard any of the histories and lore in the old Game of Thrones, Blu-rays or what have you, or you've just heard showrunners prior or current showrunners talking about this, uh, basically getting cut on the Iron Throne is not really a good omen. Uh, it's, you don't want to be a person that that's happening to. Um, and so that kind of becomes uh, almost kind of a forecaster uh, or a metaphor for the rule of that particular person, according to all of George's lore. And as I said, I think the show is trying to indicate as well. So don't have a whole lot of great judgment for Viserys, but I can't help but feel sorry for the poor guy. What an impossible situation that he is thrown into. Um, and seemingly, you know, even from the back to the great council where he was named the heir by a group of people. He didn't have any choice in that. He had to go up against his cousin, Rainey's. Um, and that was just awful that uh, he had to even be thrown in that situation in the first place. You've got the precedent of your, of King Jaharis having what 60 years of a peaceful reign. And uh, how are you going to, how are you going to compete with that? You know, so it's tough for Viserys, a very, empathetic and sympathetic character i feel like and and just a magnificent performance once again by patty constantine now one other little note regarding viserys both him and emma seem to be able to smell dragon on rhaenyra and you notice that nobody else smells dragon on rhaenyra are they just too scared to say anything is it is that the reason why 
or is this a Targaryen trait? There's your crazy crackpot theory from Matt. Uh, is the Targaryens just the only ones who are able to smell dragon on each other? Uh, that must be an awful talent to have. Should it not be? I don't have too much to say about Masaria. I, uh, you know, other than Damon took her with her, which is great. I, I think that, uh, you know, she's a very intriguing character um, who she's based on in the source material. I think we'll continue to make her an interesting character, but I won't say anything more out of that. But getting out of the brothels of King's Landing and going with a prince, um, that's a pretty good start to any kind of ambitions that she may have. Right. So we'll keep an eye on that. I have a few little notes as well. Are all Baratheons just arrogant? I mean, is that just a Baratheon trait? Because our jouster certainly seems to be until he gets, you know, put on his bleep by, uh, was it Chris? No, I can't remember which, who did it. Was it Kristen Cole that put him on his bleep? Uh, so I, I Baratheons, even Robert, um, all talk a big game. But in the end, it's just something like a little boar or a little Dornishman uh, that gets you every time, right? So uh, that's one note. The other note that I have, I loved having the prologue a as an introduction to this um, world. I felt like you needed that. I also felt like that that set up a perfect precedent for the fact that Rhaenyra is made the heir at the end of the episode. We saw how that panned out in the Great Council of 101 uh, when Jaehaerys was told that Viserys would be the heir as voted by all of those lords. Fourteen people tried to succeed to the throne, but only two were considered, and that was Rhaenys, who herself is magnificent in this episode, I love the little conversation between her and Corley's uh, regarding, you know, the toughness of men in the lists and, and how they haven't had any battles for, for so long because Jaehaerys was uh, a king of peace for 60 years and nobody knows how to fight or, or how to control their emotions in, when they're just having a tourney. Instead, it becomes an all out just battle which uh, I thought was a fantastic conversation. I really liked Rainey's in this episode. I liked Corley's a lot too. I think the, in the interesting thing that he brought up in this particular episode was about the stepstones. Look for that because he's got a map there. He's telling you about this triarchy that's taken over places that are kind of infiltrating towards Westeros, uh, how that can affect trade and everything like that. So keep an eye on that because Corlys Velaryon, as far as I know, is not usually wrong very often. So be sure to keep the stepstones in mind as we go. One last little note. I was relieved uh, that I hadn't spoiled any part of the episode regarding Harrenhal, uh, that it didn't go, that my spoiling of it didn't go beyond the first five minutes of the episode. Because if this happened in, as a flashback in episode five, I think people might have been mad at me. Uh, but I did talk about it a lot in prior podcasts. And if I did spoil you as to what you were going to see there, I apologize. Uh, but there's not much I can do to go back in time and, and take it back. So you'll just have to live with it. And you've seen it now anyway, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just think of it kind of like I was, you know, I can't go back and tell the end of Tyrion's joke the same way that Viserys did because I can't go back in time. 
uh, if any of that makes any sense. That's enough of that stuff. I've talked all I want to about this particular episode, except for a couple of things, a couple of things that I want you to participate in as well. The first thing, as you may have noticed uh, by the tune, if you're uh, familiar with the tune, I've played this game throughout my entire podcasting career since I started podcasting about Lost back in 2009. I'm not the originator of the three words thing. Everybody's been doing three words probably as long as people have been writing words down. But I think that I was one of the first people to do it on a podcast Uh, especially about TV shows. So what I want you to do is to think about the episode, not necessarily my thoughts about the episode, but your thoughts about the episode, and then try to formulate a three-word description of that episode. That doesn't really have to be over the whole episode, overarching if you don't want. And it doesn't have to just be three adjectives. That's kind of boring. What I want you to do is think of a three-word phrase that sums up this episode, or at least sums up your favorite part of the episode, or maybe your least favorite part of the episode. You choose whatever you want to do. Just submit three words and we will take care of the rest by sharing it with all the rest of our listeners on our Thursday podcast. But as an example, I'm going to give you mine. My three word description of this particular episode is tragedy already afoot. That's right. I stole the phrase of war is afoot from the trailers for this show uh, and instead uh, looked at it the way that it applied to this particular episode and said, man, this isn't about war. This is about tragedy. And so uh, we don't have war yet, but tragedy is already afoot. So tragedy already afoot is my three words. I'm betting that you can do better than I just did. So tweet your three-word description to at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter, or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Don't forget the website and the YouTube. You can also leave comments there. We will include them all in our Thursday podcast. There's another section that we need to do. That's called the Brothel Mates. This one's going to take a little bit more explanation. Brothelmates of the week is the best coupling of the episode. Now, you may think, well, two people. Well, I guess Damon and Missaria were kind of doing a brothel thing. They were doing it in a brothel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about necessarily sex at all. I'm not even talking about two people. If you don't want to make it two people, just make it a person and a concept. You can make it a person and a dragon. Maybe your brothelmates will be... Rhaenyra and Cyrax. Did I say that name right? Probably more like Cyrax. But anyway, if you want that, because they seem to be working pretty good in tandem. She's loving on him uh, with a little rub there. Or maybe uh, you want to do it with Damon and Caraxes, his dragon. Or Messaria and Caraxes, who gets introduced and rides off with. Or maybe you want to do it with a person 
and a concept or a person and an object. And that's what I did. I did a person and, well, really multiple objects. But my brothel mates, just to as a demonstration here, my brothel cup mates, my best coupling is Damon and body parts. And dismembered body parts. Uh, because he certainly is doing some loving, separating uh, criminals from the parts that they use to do crimes with. Uh, it's kind of decadent, like being in a brothel in its own way. Yes. Do you agree? Do you disagree? You can do better, right? So let's hear your brothel mates, your best coupling for this episode. Once again, do all of those social media, email, YouTube, website things. I you know I keep saying all that stuff over and over to the point where it's making you nauseous. So we'll get out of here. Don't forget that we will also do your feedback. Any thoughts that you have, feel free to use all of that information uh, that I've given you in terms of contacting us and submit that thoughts. We will not turn a single thought down. There is no such thing as a bad question. There's no such thing as a bad answer on this particular podcast because goodness knows everybody is much better at it than me. One more little section to get to before we say goodbye. Seven hells. If you saw or heard the podcast from a couple of weeks ago, you know that all of the panelists who will be appearing with me on the Thursday podcasts, they are going to be playing a game along with me regarding the whole idea of we have to draw a character's name out of a hat, basically. And if we get that character and they happen to either say a dragon by name or they happen to curse in the course of the episode that we're drawing for, then we have to pay a punishment. Now, we can draw one name, and then if we don't like that, we can throw it back and draw a second name, but we have to take the second one. There's also an instant buy, which excuses you for the week instantly. There's no putting that back. And an instant death, which means that you're instantly punished. You'll have to pay a punishment. There's no putting that back either. So... Here's what we drew for the last time that would apply to this episode. Let's see. Kristen Cole, that was who Holly drew. Uh, he did not curse, nor did he say a dragon's name in this episode. Maester Melos, who I drew, did not curse, nor say a dragon's name. And, and you guys call me out on this, but I'm pretty sure he did not say a dragon's name uh, in terms of this particular episode. Uh, Stefan Darkland, that was Stephanie's draw. I don't even think he was in the episode. I didn't see him. Maybe he was. I don't know. Uh, John drew Otto's servant, who also I don't think was in this particular episode. And Kelly drew a Targaryen retainer, who may have been one of the people handling the baby, but there were no lines there. So everyone is safe from that part. Now, Susan did happen to draw the instant death. She will, during our week two podcast, not this week, everybody gets a week off from me, from me 
as far as this is concerned. But in the week two podcast, she will have to pay I am Patchface Podcaster, where she will have to say, I know, I know, after each take, or connect her take to being under the sea. If you don't know who Patchface is, in A Song of Ice and Fire, he was the Baratheon, like Stannis and Shireen Baratheon's court jester. Didn't appear in the television show. Uh, but he evidently drowned and then was brought back to life. And so that's why he relates everything to Under the Sea. And he constantly, annoyingly said, I know, I know. And anytime he did, you knew that he was probably telling something that was going to happen in the future. But anyway, that's what Susan is going to have to do for her punishment. We also started to do over and unders for the episodes in terms of minutes. Was the episode going to be over 55 minutes? Was it going to be under 55 minutes? Now, I said it was going to be over 55 minutes for every single episode. And everybody else said it was going to be over 55 minutes for this episode. We all did that before they released the episode lengths out into the public. So nobody else is going to have to draw for over and unders. But because I said over and under for all episodes, we found out in those episode links that one of them is going to be under 55 minutes. That means that I have to pay a punishment right off the bat. I will do so in week two. That punishment shall be the hound where I will be forced to eat chicken during the entirety of the Thursday uh, panel podcast. So look forward to that. Look forward to, uh, you may want to look away. If you're watching on YouTube, you may want to look away for most of the podcasts when the camera's on me because I eat chicken pretty gross and, and it'll get in my teeth and all kinds of weird things and, and it'll be pretty gross. But in an audio podcast, you'll probably hear the panelists giggling at me all the time. I'll try not to talk with my mouth full too often. I'll try to chew quickly in between any time that I'm talking while other people are talking. Uh, but just take for granted that uh, Holly has deemed that I need to eat every bleeping chicken, uh, evidently within a 10-mile radius. I'm still negotiating that. I'm hoping that I can just order a 20-piece bucket of KFC because there's no way I'll finish that in the course of a podcast. So I'll be eating chicken the whole time. We'll see what happens there. We'll see how badly Holly comes down on me regarding that. So that's your 7 Hells update this Thursday podcast. We'll be drawing again for episode two, a whole new set of names. All of the numbers are in different orders. And so we never know what you're going to get. Some people may be punished often. Some people may never be punished. Uh, But it's my luck typically to get punished. As Susan says that it's her luck to typically get punished. We'll see what happens in terms of who gets punished next time. And so that is concluding our first initial reaction of the first episode of House of the Dragon. My name is Matt. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this all the way through. Just to preview our Thursday podcast just a little bit, our panelists will be giving all of their thoughts about this story and what have you. We will share your three words, your brothel mates of the week, your feedback, all of it with the rest of our listeners. We want to hear from you. Tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. You can leave comments at mattsaudioblog.com posts 
or you can leave comments in our YouTube videos as well. Uh, just search for the word before the dragon podcast on YouTube and uh, please hit that subscribe button. We're trying to build a YouTube audience. That's one of the reasons why we're doing uh, the seven hells punishment game. So we'll have some visual gags uh, for people who normally just listen to us to also see us in agony. That's one of those things uh, we want to hear from you. So please get back to us. I of course will have a musical analysis for you on Thursday. I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do it on yet. Um, there's lots of good music in this. Ramin did a really good job with this particular episode. If you're not familiar with the fact that I did a podcast just a couple of days ago regarding uh, the first piece of music that was called the Prince that was promised by Ramin. That's the first one that was released by water tower music. Um, that music occurs. I did already do my commentary on it, but that music occurs right at the, right as really Viserys is telling uh, Rhaenyra about the, the dream of Aegon and everything and, and making and how he wants to name her the heir and why the heir should know this and what have you. And it kind of goes through the whole sequence of her being announced as, as the heir in the throne room. There you go. Uh, I did that. I still don't know what I'm going to do about the music otherwise. So uh, give me a day or two to wrangle that up for you. And uh, that'll be the first item on the list for the Thursday podcast. If you uh, listen to me just for the musical analysis, because I want to get that out of the way so that you don't have to listen to the rest of me rambling. Although I do suggest that you listen to my panelists as they speak, because they're much smarter than me and uh, stick with us. We hope to hear more from you this season. We hope to see that you're listening to us this season let us know what you think about the podcast as well as the episodes of the show. I'm always open to feedback about the podcast as well. I've rambled enough. I'm Matt. Take care.